Support for this podcast comes from the Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to making Texas businesses safer, stronger, better. Learn more about how Texas Mutual helps protect your people and your business at texasmutual.com better. Tirso Sig is a friend of mine. He owns a burger joint in San Antonio, Texas called Cheesy Jane's. I spoke to him about risk-taking and about overcoming fears in your life. This is No Hill for a Climber from Texas Public Radio. I'm Michael Taylor. Tirso Sig, welcome. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm excited for this. Um, <laughs> Me too. I understand you were born in Mexico. Much of your family still lives there. And you took a risk a long time ago to come to the United States applying to a job at Disney. I think you've never told me the story directly, but I would like to hear about your job application to Disney. Yeah, actually, I am the only one that left Mexico. My whole entire family is still there. And um, at the time, I did not speak a word in English. Okay. Basics like pencil and father and mother, but no, I couldn't create sentences, right? So I knew that the way to do it was to apply for Epcot Center in Disney World because they require people from their countries to work the different areas in Epcot. So a friend of mine who has been at Epcot, I asked him to see how he made it there. And he said, well, they come to my uncle's restaurant to interview people, to take them to, okay. to the pavilion. And then he told me, yeah, in a couple of weeks, they're going to be here. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I don't even speak English. How am I going to go to an interview? <laughs> But at that time, my, my youngest brother, who was in a bilingual school, helped me write the speech. My friend told me exactly what they want to hear from you. And I told my, my brother, write me a speech about this and this and this. Uh-huh. And I, for, the ne- for the following two weeks, I just practiced in front of a mirror to try to make it sound like I was speaking normal, normal instead of trying to portray an acting on my, on my speech. <laughs> yeah. So the day came, I went to the interview and there was a lot of people outside of the restaurant and the ladies uh, from Disney came out and they spoke in English, which I didn't understand exactly what they said. Uh-huh. So I asked the guy next to me and I said, oh yeah, I was distracted. What did they say? And they say, well, that this uh, interview is exclusively for people invited by the owner of the restaurant. Of course, I didn't have an invitation. So a lot of people left and I said, well, I'm going to stay anyway because I don't see anybody holding an invitation. Right. I'm going to see what happens. Uh-huh. So they let me in. Okay. And we, we went through the whole entire presentation, Disney, and everything was just amazing. Never, never traveled outside Mexico. And I was like, oh, my God, I really need to go there. So when they started calling people for interviews, I basically lowered my head. And in my head, I was, I need to be the last one because I need to hear sort of how the interview goes. And oh. also the, 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 the people, they're tired. They just, if I'm the last one, they just wanna, wanna leave, right? Mm-hmm. After interviewing all these people. So I was the last one. Uh, the lady took me to the little room and, um, she shake my hand, she sat down, so I sat down and she started talking. And I was just nodding, like if I understood what she was saying, but I <laughs> had no clue. Yeah. And, um, and then finally she got quiet and that's when I thought, oh, it's time for me to talk. 
And I uh -huh. just went through my whole uh, spiel of what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and then I stopped and then she said something else that I didn't understand. She got up, I got up, she shake my hand and direct me to the door. And I okay. left. And I had no clue okay. what was next. <laughs> and one day uh, I received a phone call and they told me that I've been accepted. So I went to pick up all my stuff and I was super excited. So I left Mexico with $150 in my pocket, my duffel bag, and up to Epcot Center. How old were you when you first applied? I was 25. Did you work in the Mexican pavilion at Epcot then? Yes, I did. How long did that go for? For a year. Okay. But the, the funny part is that when I arrived to Epcot, they told us that the next day we were going to have another interview. And at that moment, I was like, okay, they're going to send me back. <laughs> so it wasn't an interview. Um, we were all in one room and we had to learn about the person next to us. And then we have to uh, introduce the person next to us. And of course, when it was my time, I just said like business, school, Mexico, Eduardo. <laughs> I couldn't put it. So the ladies told me, just sit down. And then the next day, just, just send me to the Mexican pavilion. And here's your guy. Just I'm like, <laughs> deal with him. <laughs> and, um, and then I forced myself to learn English. I didn't hang out with my... Uh, friends from Mexico, I was just hanging out with people from the United States just to force myself to learn. There's a lot of risks you're taking. Are you scared before the Disney interview or once you get to Disney or is that just not entering your mind? Um, I've always um, I've always grown with this fear, but I do things uh, sometimes based on fear because I need to do them. Because I don't want to get stuck. So yeah, it was a very scary time, right? Uh, coming to the U.S. with absolutely no one that I knew to a brand new uh, culture, trying to learn the language, no friends whatsoever, because all the people that came from Mexico, I just met them too. So it was it was very scary, and I didn't have I didn't I didn't even have the money to pay for the first month rent. So I had to ask my roommates if they could lend me some money and and they asked me well they, they, didn't they didn't they tell you that you were supposed to bring five hundred dollars at least and I said yeah they did I just didn't didn't have Tirso was 25 years old when he landed the job at the Mexican pavilion at Epcot after that job he worked in the restaurant industry for a while and then got a bachelor of fine arts from the Savannah College of Art and Design for whom he later worked as an administrator in southern France. He returned to the United States and worked as a manager for the well-known San Antonio restaurant La Fogata while working as an artist, and then for a web marketing startup after 2009. In late 2019, I ran into Tirso in a parking lot, and he told me he had the opportunity to purchase the burger joint Cheesy Jane's from the owner who wanted to retire. Little did he know that COVID was about to make that opportunity much more difficult. I took over the restaurant in January of 2020. And two months later, COVID hits and they told me you have to shut down your restaurant. And it was, uh, I mean, it really put me out of my comfort zone. So when I find out that 
um, the grocery shopping was like a madhouse and it, they couldn't let people in and there were huge lines. Well, I opened a small grocery store inside the restaurant and I was just selling anything, fruits, vegetables, milk, eggs, anything. Mm-hmm. And then it went from selling that to selling gloves and bleach because that's what people uh-huh. wanted. And then yep. all of a sudden, just just eggs and everybody wanted to buy eggs. And it was a, it was a, a, a creative moment that luckily also I own two food trucks and I use one of the trucks as a drive through and another one for deliveries uh, for us to bring the truck to a neighborhood so people can eat and not to worry about um, the grocery shopping. I just remember this is, you know, March, April, 2020, the, the, the world is ending due to this pandemic. Restaurants are just the worst place to be. I was so bummed and scared for you. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, it sounds like you took a lot of action. So you were not frozen by fear. Uh, you were trying different things. You were using your trucks. Uh, did you, are you up at, late at night worrying or are you just enmeshed in the action and doing stuff and not letting the fear get the worst of you? Um, Michael, I learned one thing that I, I've been using quite a while and I try to, uh, I'm all, I always shift myself into, if I'm at the restaurant, I'm a full concentrating the work and what I need to do and make it better and optimize operations and blah, blah, blah. When I get home, I don't want to know anything about work, right? I either go into my studio and do some art or I read or I do anything I can't to not to deal with with work or anything and and it has worked very well for me because luckily I don't lose any sleep I sleep very well and even if there's something that is bothering me from the business and I need to take care of what I can't take care of at that night I shift my mind and I know that the next day I'm going to have to do something about it and try to fix it but yeah m- most of the time I'm able to shift and not get frozen by fear. No, I don't get frozen by fear. I used to, but not anymore. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, Tirso and I talk about his dramatic attempt to overcome his fears in life. In Texas business, success doesn't happen by accident. Even the best operations need careful planning, a great team, and loads of hard work. Texas Mutual Insurance Company has helped all kinds of Texas businesses grow and thrive for more than 30 years with expert safety guidance and great workers' compensation coverage. With the right workers' comp partner, business is safer, stronger, better. Learn more at texasmutual.com better. You told me something that you signed up for. You could describe it better, but I'll describe it as a kind of a group therapy in Tennessee, specifically to address facing your fears. Can you just tell me how that went and the effect that it had on you? So, yeah, I, um, this place was recommended to to me. And it was um, when I got there, it was a group of like 40 people that divide you in, in groups of six and you go there to overcome whatever you're having for me it was fear so some people are having different issues that prompts whatever. them to join the yeah. group therapy okay 
There's yeah, not a, it, it, okay. it could be alcoholism, it could be uh, drug-related things, it could be uh, abuse, it could be anything. So my group is uh, three ladies and we are three, three guys. So the lady, the, the therapist who's called, so who wants to be first? And I said, well, I'll go first. And she tells me, okay, so what do you, you want to work on? And you're standing right in the middle of the room and then everybody is just looking at you. So I say, I want to work in fear. And she's like, okay, so how does fear feel for you? And I say, I, it feels like this giant, massive black matter just like oppressing me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't let me breathe. And then she say, okay, which one in the room uh, you want to bring up that represents this massive thing. And luckily there was this guy from New Jersey that he was massive. I mean, he was like a linebacker, mm -hmm. you know, six, five, big guy. And I said, well, of course him. And the lady put him right in front of me. And the lady tells him, just tell him that he is worthless. He's a piece of <laughs> He's worth nothing. <laughs> and, and it came to a point that I, I was looking at the guy and the guy started to show as a big black matter. I couldn't even see his face because I started getting super angry mm -hmm. and sad. And, 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 and it was like this, like feeling that I never felt before and super angry. So she told the guy to go behind me and start telling me the same thing, but right on my ear right in my ear and I was just, I was crying, I mean, sobbing, crying, really mad. And, and then she grabbed a sheet and wrapped me, like I couldn't move, my arms are inside. Uh, the, the sheet is covering from my knees all the way to my shoulders, so I can't move. And he tells the guy, twist the sheet for him. I'm, it's like, I'm like a mommy, right, standing. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and but, but keeps telling him, just keep telling him that he's worth nothing. And then at the same time, the lady comes to me and she tells me, so what are you going to do, Tirso? What are you going to do now? Huh? Huh? And at that moment, I just, I was kind of like in, in, in rage of this, like, uh, anger and sadness that I that I've been feeling this for a long time and I couldn't get rid of it. That I start just like screaming, I'm gonna get out of this. I'm gonna get out of this. And and I started running like as much as I could and moving myself, try to get out of there. That I mean, all, everybody else just got up because I was dragging the guy to the other side of the room to the <laughs> point that the lady told the other guy, help him, help him hold him. And I don't know where I got my strength that I got out of that. And at that moment, I, I started sobbing, sobbing, but it was like this peaceful, the most peaceful moment I ever felt in my life. And, and I'm not saying that I get rid of my fear 100%, but man, now everything feels like it's not a big deal. And, and, and I, just, I just let that fear right there. And from that moment, I was, I was happy. And, and the, the funny thing is that when I came back from that retreat, everybody told me, oh my God, you look a lot younger. 
And it was the most incredible thing that had happened to me. It was uh, a very eye-opening. It was just, it was just amazing, and and that has helped me also to be able to shift into not worry too much about things and trust that everything is going to work out if I work hard and if I take the right decisions. That story uh, it seems the the therapist or whoever's running that group is taking a very big risk with you and with the other guy. But I'm, I mean, I'm glad that it worked, but it feels like a, a very extreme method for having you address your fears. It, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, everybody else, everybody told me after when I talked to the people that were around there, they say that was like insanely crazy. <laughs> How does it affect your ability to run a business? To be honest with you, now I worry more about sales that am I am I going to be able to make the sales that I want am I going to turn this around the way I really want it to be turned around it's not as difficult as it would have been or like when I used to a long time ago I used to have a pizzeria and it was a lot uh, scarier uh, that was the first restaurant that I had and and now I I have a better better vision of things and I am a lot more creative mm-hmm. I want to talk about those ideas, but first, I was interested in the, an anecdote you told me uh, maybe two months ago about the power of a podcast you listened to that featured the Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz. Oh, yeah. And as I understand it, you listened to it and he said, hey, anybody wants to reach out to me, you know, send me an email. And then you did. Yeah. Yeah. That was really bizarre. I would never thought that he will really... Um the answer I would so um, I actually reached out to you and then and then uh, you said well what you need to do is to read his book and I was like oh what a great idea so I read his book and and it was super interesting and out of his book I just wrote about eight questions that I wanted to ask him and I reached out to him I sent him an email and I left my phone number so the next day was Sunday. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to Home Depot to buy some materials. I'm coming out of Home Depot, putting the materials inside my truck, and he calls me. So I'm sitting in the parking lot of Home Depot talking to him, the CEO of, of Starbucks. And luckily, I remember my questions, and he was like super, super nice, incredible. And, and he gave me a lot of insight on what to do for my next uh, venture. Can you remember any of the specific things he said? Yeah, he um, basically one, one of the things is that I asked him, what's the best thing for me to, where, where should I go to get the best loan, for example? Now he said, SBA is the best, the best thing. And then, and then I told him that I wanted to expand on the shake and malts business. And he told me, okay, what you need to focus is that you are basically in the ice cream business. What else did he say? Oh, he reinforced the take care of your people. Please, it's always important you take care of the people. When you take care of them, they will always take care of you and your customers. How long did you, are you stuck in the Home Depot parking lot talking to Howard Schultz? For about 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It's exciting. Yeah, it was very exciting. It was very exciting. Oh, another thing that I, 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 uh, he told me is just start small. Don't try to run too fast. Just start small, and then 
um, I told I, I told him, well, I'm trying, I'm, I'm planning on opening a pilot program with like small uh, venue before I really go into full. And he said, like, that's the best thing to do. You just um, research and development on that pilot program and see how it works. And from there, you you can master whatever you want to you want to do. I understand you have you've been around business and entrepreneurship for decades now. Are there things about business you still feel uncomfortable with or you don't understand well enough? Well, yes. Um the the finance side is a little bit difficult for me. I'm an artist also. I studied art, but I've mm-hmm. been in the restaurant industry for 24 years and and my expertise is turning restaurants around. I make them profitable uh, by optimizing operations. But the financial side, trying to learn how to invest, how to move the money, make decisions in the financial side, I'm not very good at it. And, and that's why I get a lot of uh, information from other people like you and some of the friends <laughs> that I have, my accountant and what do I need to do? How do I invest here? What's the best thing for me to do? But luckily I have uh, like a common sense on what it needs to be done. And, and to me, it's very simple. You know, you have good product and take care of everybody that walks into the door. Make sure that everybody leaves happy and they're going to come back. People are going to come back. I'm a little obsessed with the topic of success and how do people define it. Is your restaurant business a success? Um, and if it is, what does that look like for you? Do you feel successful in business? Um, I do feel successful in business. And, and especially because I didn't study business. I didn't study finance. I didn't study anything or entrepreneurship. Nothing related to that. Um, I've always taken a risk of doing what uh, I need to do in order for me to tell other people what they need to do and not people to tell me what to do. <laughs> Even when I was running restaurants, I always wanted to go all the way to the top so I can I can be the main person to make the changes and organize things the way I thought it was the best thing to do. So I, I do feel successful. I've always taken risks just because I feel like the risk is always taking me out of my comfort zone and that makes me grow and help me be better for me, for my kids, for everybody around me. I'm a exercise fanatic also. And I also, I even, I do like extreme sports because I used to be fearful and now I am just like, okay, well, whatever. I I enjoy this. I love this and I have to do it even if my gut is about to fall out, right? <laughs> but but it's, I, I think that it is important for us to be in the uncomfort zone for us to grow and, and see things in a better in a better way. At least that helps me. Yeah, you seem to have... Fears, but then some ability to do fear exposure to pass through it. I have experienced a lot of fears that prevents me from doing things for sometimes years at a time. Um, and I'm, I'm just impressed that you were able to be fearful, but then move forward and, and take the risk. 
I mean, that's probably, for me, it would be like the worst thing just to get a stock. I wanna, I've always said that I wanna be 80 or 85 or 90 and sit down on my porch and say, I'm glad I did this. Uh, than saying I'm glad I did. I, I'm I'm so sad that I didn't. I don't want to regret. Mm-hmm. Tirso, I'm ex- super excited to hear your stories, watch your journey, be a person that um, can talk about your journey, and I'm grateful for the conversation. Thank you so much, Michael. No Hill for a Climber is produced by Ben Henry and Dan Katz for Texas Public Radio.